0: This episode of Hong Comedy Writing is brought to you by HBO on Amazon. What if I told you we could combine your love for premium cable with your dependence on online shopping? I bet you'd go pretty crazy. Well, time to go fucking nuts, because now we can. An HBO subscription includes instant streaming of unlimited access to addictive dramas, hilarious comedies, movies, and so much more. Fans of this show will love watching Veep, Silicon Valley, Mr. Show... Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is back and I've been enjoying. I think it's doing okay. I think I think some older episodes are better, but this is certainly still good. I love Curb. Uh, I like how I put my review of Curb into this HBO on Amazon ad. They actually, Curb filmed right outside my apartment in LA like seven months ago, so I can't wait to see the outside of my apartment in the show. Uh, you know, this should be an ad for Curb. I wouldn't have said it was okay. I would have said it. Anyway, Amazon is offering a free seven-day trial for HBO. And you can get it by going to boardwalkaudio.com amazonhbo Amazon HBO. After the trial, you get unlimited access to anything on HBO for just $14.99 a month. That's a good deal for HBO. My parents pay for HBO, and I assume they're paying more than that. Once again, get your seven-day free trial for HBO by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Amazon HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. Which is brought to you by Amazon.
1: This is a Boardwalk
0: Audio Podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. Before we get into this week's guest, I want to again talk about some of the, the tweets I got this week about the episode. I love getting tweets, and um, it's really, uh, every week I get more tweets than usual, and I, I didn't have enough time to really to respond to a lot of the tweets, so sorry about that, but maybe here I'll I'll shout out some of the ones that I've remembered um, after I kind of complained, I guess, about, uh, my friends being the only people to tweet at me about keeping the sketch pitch, sketch pitch segment, a lot of people tweeted or messaged me, which I appreciate, uh, OG, OG fan, Tucker Hutchinson at tuckhutch77 messaged me about keeping the segment, which was nice. Ryan Bailey at Hey Ryan Bailey tweeted a couple of good ideas to me about how the segment could be improved, which is good too. Uh, but my favorite message was from Alex, uh, Schulzen at Alex Schulzen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I realize I'm bad at, at pronouncing last names through this podcast. But he tweeted at me, I think you should keep the part where you pitch your sketch ideas. Not because it's educational, but because I can tell you hate doing it. And I think that's uh, that's good enough reason right there, you know. Uh, in the last episode I recorded, which is coming out next week, I did do a very bad sketch pitch again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I made it kind of awkward. It's on me. So apologies for that. I've got a little break from the old uh, NYU factory. I'm going to use some of that time to uh, think of good sketch pitches, and uh, I'm going to deliver them better. I'm going to become a better man during this break, Uh, and the episodes coming out, uh, not in the next few weeks, but uh, like a month from now, those episodes are going to be, oh, they're going to be great. Uh, Our guest this week is David Phillips, a really funny guy. He's worked on two of the funniest shows on television, in my opinion, in Rick and Morty and Brooklyn Nine-Nine so it was really cool to talk to him about the inner workings of those shows. If you like this episode, check out the episode with Neil Campbell, who also worked on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So here is David Phillips. David, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, wh- where are you uh, from originally?
1: I grew up here. Okay. Yeah, weird, local. Here is Los Angeles. Everyone knows that you record yeah, in Los Angeles. Every- yeah, everyone's They don't pretty. think you're flying everyone in. no, no. no. <laughs>
0: Uh, what part of, like, Los Angeles? I grew up in Beverly Hills, California. Nice. Uh, the
1: mean streets, rough rough streets, rough roads in Beverly Hills, in between Sunset and Santa Monica. Does anyone <laughs> want to know street names? Roxbury Drive. Rocks- oh, is that like
0: a <laughs> Night at the Roxbury? It's, that...
1: it's exactly like Night at the Rock. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if that was why they came up with that name, because it's – there's no – Roxbury is like a normal, like – yeah. Uh, Suburban level, like, residential street. So I think uh, it just has, you know, Roxbury's a name. Yeah, yeah, I But, know. anyways, that was my, where I grew up.
0: Uh, were you uh, into comedy when you were, like, growing up?
1: Yes. I was very into comedy. Uh, definitely why I got into it, because I didn't know it was a job. It was before I just was like, this is what I love. Like, watching and stuff, and then slowly, you know... I don't know how ahead of the question I'm getting, but is that... <laughs> oh, well, like, uh, well, uh... Uh, What kind of comedy I was into? Yeah, either. like, what you, like, uh,
0: watching? Uh,
1: I was into... The most impactful on me was probably SNL and Conan. Uh, when I was even younger, probably The Simpsons and... I don't know. Yeah, I guess that would be considered younger, even though uh, there was just constant simpsons on all the time and syndication and everything so i watched a bunch of simpsons and as i got older a little bit like high school strangers with candy and oh, mr yeah. show and uh, of course like the standard sitcoms i was a big seinfeld and friends fan and uh, of course i guess i should just say of course friends even though i don't think everyone in comedy is a big friends fan necessarily but everyone definitely watched it
0: yeah <laughs> friends is a, is a weird show well, for some people I know, like I used to know, would be like Friends is better than Seinfeld. Ooh, that's, I like.
1: I, I'd like to take on that debate.
0: That's. Uh, I think that's crazy. Do you it's,
1: think you think Friends are better than Seinfeld? I don't know if I believe it, but I feel like I could argue it.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was just. I, I would say that uh, I think Friends had a, a more uh, standard sitcom premise and was like doing already well trod territory and still somehow was able to make it fun and unique and interesting and do cool new things with it whereas Seinfeld which is what it deserves credit for did an entirely uh new thing so it discovered a whole new thing so it shouldn't be penalized for that but because of that like almost everything that Seinfeld does story-wise is like now immediately hacky Though, like, then right, it was not. Yeah. But a lot of the, like, tying stories together in very coincidental ways and stuff, which was, which just amazing. This is going to make it sound like I don't like Seinfeld. But just for the sake of argument, uh, I think that there are some things that we, like, fantasize about Seinfeld that we, like, kind of s- knock friends for, whereas both deserve credit for different reasons. But Seinfeld's better. <laughs> End of debate. Seinfeld's better.
0: Uh were you uh, doing any comedy stuff, like, in high school?
1: Uh, good question. I definitely, like, did it without realizing it, I guess. I wasn't actively, like, this is what I want to do and knowing that, like, I was doing it. But at any opportunity I had for, like, making a video for class or something, and then once I was in high school – like, you know, you'd always get, like, assignments – for, like, a Spanish class or whatever. And then instead of, like, writing an essay, it was, like, trying to make, like, a dumb, funny thing yeah. or a sketch or something. At the time, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And then, my, like, junior year of high school, took, like, a film class, even though it's, like, you know, very little requirements, and kind of turned that into a way to make, like, a fun film and enjoyed the pro, like, the dumb little, like, it's essentially what you would do now putting up a YouTube video, just, like, messing around with your friends. Making a really bad movie and just having fun.
0: What so. what uh, what was like the short film about?
1: It was this is like it was a combination of me wanting to make something fun and me being a asshole to the teacher because the teacher was like, okay, like strict rules, not longer than like eight minutes, and make like a real thing and don't you know don't like make something like astronauts in space. And then I was like, "Okay, it's going to be much longer than eight minutes, and it's going to be about <laughs> astronauts." Those were like the two <laughs> requirements I came up with right off of her anti-requirements. So it was about kids in astronaut school. It was a it was Limitless. Do you remember the movie Limitless before yeah. Before Limitless? Baby, <laughs> it was Whoa. like about astronaut school. And they were taking drugs to help them study, and they were being very super competitive. There was a Russian astronaut, an American astronaut, and it's like the dumbest, most, like makes no sense, but it was just a lot of like tropey stuff, like making fun of different random tropes, and then just literally things that don't make any sense, like long three-minute music montages, (laughs) and you know. But it was. It ended up at a at a lean twenty minutes, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> maybe two to three three minute montages.
0: Well, oh, I can't. I was
1: having a lot of fun with what I was learning on those editing programs that we had. Like <laughs> I think it was like very early stages of iMovie, how... and it was called Crazy Pills. Crazy Pills. Crazy Pills. Oh, Crazy
0: Pills. Yeah. H- how much time did you spend making a twenty minute video? I mean,
1: not not a lot of time. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, too much time for how uh, like bad it is in reality but like i would say it probably takes less time to make a 20 minute video and more time to like cut it down and actually make something like succinct and good so like it wasn't like i was like ooh, it's not right yet i have to make more stuff it was just (laughs) i probably shot the same amount of scenes as everyone did for an eight minute video but they were just really long and (laughs) unnecessary and you know just dumb dumb stuff but it was like a it's like a thing of realizing like how much like just kind of chasing what is fun about that kind of mm. process and realizing like, oh that was fun. Can I do that again? And but I uh to this day have never made anything nearly as good as Crazy
0: Pills. <laughs> uh so so where did you go to college?
1: I went to University of Arizona. Okay. Uh one of the higher learning establishments <laughs> of the state of Arizona. <laughs> um and I was there for, you know, the Four years, which is a very short amount of time for most students to go there. Oh, (laughs) The classic five-year track.
0: I do. I did have a friend who went to University of Arizona and did go for five years. There you go. That's the
1: standard. So I really excelled there and managed (laughs) to get out of there in four. And I kind of got out of there in three and a half because my last semester I did an internship in New York.
0: Oh, what was your internship?
1: At Conan. Uh,
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: that was like the
0: ultimate thing. uh, So... When you were, uh, you, were, and you were applying to it, you were, you thought, I mean, I guess <laughs> if I was going to University of Arizona, I wouldn't even think to like apply for yeah. a spring internship at Conan.
1: It was insane. Uh, I think what had happened was basically my first semester of my senior year, I was like, I have no idea what I still want to do. What was your uh, major? I majored in media arts and minored in creative writing, but at a school like University of Arizona, you... Like nobody is actively helping you, nor is it like every program is fo- focused around getting as many students as possible to get into it. So it's not really a hands-on kind of like, what are you going to do with your life kind of experience? You're kind of on your own to find that. Um, and so somehow I just kind of got struck by like, what am I going to do when I leave here? Like, that was just crazy. And I was like, if I really actually want to chase this comedy dream or some some, some sort of TV thing, like... I need to know what that even is. And I was looking online, just looking at shows that I loved, like trying, like typing in like Conan and searching all that stuff. And I had an internship popped up and I applied just blindly and got a message the next day. Cause it was like the end of my first semester. And they're like, do you want to, can you interview for this over the phone? I was like, sure. They called me and they're like, okay, can you start in like a week? And I was like, oh, I thought this was for like the summer. They're like, no, you have to like come out here in like a week. And I immediately was like, I don't know if I can do that. The second I – this is such a long, boring story, but it's at least an insight into Arizona. I was like, I'm not sure I can do that. I walk into my – the counselor at Arizona to, like, see if I can get credits and leave for a semester early. And it was like they had never seen a student before. It was like (laughs) no student had ever asked for anything. And it was almost like you walked into this, like, empty, vast hallway of, like, people that are like – go like cheer like (laughs) you have to go just go we'll figure it out like they were like literally could have did everything but fly me to new york like it was just so they couldn't have been more excited to see a student like want to do anything (laughs) and that just turned into this very like amazing lucky experience that my parents were like yeah we'll let you go to new york and i was you know working there five days a week like just seeing it exist uh, like oh, this is a real job like all those types of things you need to learn because you don't really know what those are. you just watch the show so you don't you know just seeing how it works from the furthest away possible like especially the show that you like grew up obsessed with it was kind of cool.
0: Yeah so, so what would you uh, what would you have to do like, you? Um, I was a
1: research intern so it was a it was like a, a full-time internship as opposed to like the interns that like will go run around like and grab stuff. Uh, And those were like part time, and they would like be at school while doing that a day out of the week. Um, So I was in the researcher's office, culling all of the information for the for the guests. And there's like two or three interns, two or three researchers uh, that essentially put together these huge packets for the segment producers to then cull and like, like like minimize down into like a few questions they want to talk about or ask about. So I was the bulk. Information provider that then like handed over packets to the researchers, and they kind of it just sort of slowly started getting winnowed, whittled, 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 probably, whittled yeah. down from my giant packets. But I was like on like Lexis Nexus and all those things, like just tons of articles about every. I'm like reading every celebrity pop magazine at the time, and but it was cool. They would let you like watch rehearsals and just all the little things, like knowing. What how the show got made was very exciting.
0: Yeah, so so you, like every day you got to watch like the rehearsals count in. Yeah, that's you, insane. Like,
1: they started. I, I don't know if that was new when I got there, but they started kind of letting four interns like sit in the audience while they did rehearsals. And even if you didn't get to do that, you could watch it on the live feed. Um, and you didn't get. I didn't really get any insight to the writing process, except for you know sometimes they pitch ideas for the segments. So, like, when the celebrity guest had, like, ideas pitched to them, I kind of saw those things happen. But mm-hmm. other than that, it was like, you know, I would see them come up on the rehearsals, but I didn't see when they were, you know, I wasn't there when they were writing at night. I didn't know what mm-hmm. their, what the writer's life was like, but uh, it still felt, like, insanely close to just know that it was a real job was kind of cool.
0: Right. Uh, so, so, after that, are you thinking, what are you thinking after that? Because you've graduated now.
1: Right. I've graduated. Um, i At the same time, it was like I was at those Conan internship. I was at the Conan internship in New York. I could have been like my happiest and my saddest at the same time because I was fully alone in like this big city. And but I but with the with the what was going on there, UCB was like huge in New York at the time. It was like for the comedy culture of it, like that was when they were doing ASCAT with like Amy Poehler was doing it every week. And so I was going to UCB shows like ever as many nights as I could when I was in New York, it was like that and the internship. Um, and from that experience I was like, okay, well I'm not going to stay in New York cause it makes no sense for me to stay out here. I don't know even how I would exist out here. So I'll go back home cause I live cause my family's here, stay in my parents' house for a year and like save up money and just try and do this. Like literally like the thing of, I saw UCB I was like, is there, there's a UCB in LA I'll take classes there. I'll do that. And, um, at the same time, try and get like, you know, those production assistant jobs and see how that works. Like I just still didn't know anything. So it was still like blindly, but also knowing like this is the place to do it as much as it is New York. So
0: did you ever think to take a class while you were in New York?
1: I was close to doing that, but it was like my schedule was tough. And I also wasn't like I didn't know how UCB worked. So, like, yes, I should have taken one class and then gone to LA and taken <laughs> more classes. But in my brain, I was like, well, why take one class here if I'm going to start in LA? Oh, so I, see. I was like, even, I think I was also putting it off too because I was a little, you know, of all the different types of things that you go through of like, oh, am I really going to go after doing comedy? Like, am I, you know, it took a little bit of pushing myself to really throw myself into that, the UCB oh. world a little. But um, yeah, it seemed like. Oh, I don't even know. I don't really want to perform necessarily, so all the improv classes I wasn't initially like drawn into, but then once I got out here, I was like, okay, that's the way to do it.
0: So so when you got here, did you start taking improv first?
1: Yeah, I took improv, and then the second they started teaching sketch classes, or they maybe already had, because I realized like people had taken sketch classes before me, so they were just less available. So once a sketch class opened up, after I had taken two improv classes, I think, I took that, and that was sort of my path there.
0: Did, did you, like, immediately know it was something you uh, you liked doing?
1: Yeah. The second... I mean, it, that was another thing of, like... I didn't think I was necessarily good at it yet, but I knew that I wasn't terrible, and I also knew from watching shows there, I was like, this is, you know, the place that I would want to do this. It seemed mm-hmm. like, at the time, a very like, exactly the place that I should be and wanted to be in terms of, like, who I thought was funny and who I thought was, like, the teachers that I thought were, like, the people that I thought were funny and really good were also teaching classes, so that was, like, a cool thing.
0: Who who were your teachers?
1: Uh, Neil Campbell was my Sketch 101 teacher. Uh, Johnny Meeks was my Improv 101 teacher. Uh, I had some improv... I kind of slowed down on the second I started taking sketch, but, uh, Billy Merritt was an improv teacher of mine and Danielle Schneider. And then 301 was like a mixture of subs. And I can't mm-hmm. remember. I think it was Sean Conroy, but I think he was like immediately, like had some sort of health thing. And so I had yeah. subs every
0: every week, but, uh,
1: yeah, that was kind of the... So you
0: only took one Sketch class? Is that how it worked back then?
1: So that was a weird thing where, yeah, the requirement was taking Sketch 101. And when I saw that uh, I had, like, sort of st- stopped taking UCB... I had, like, taken a little bit of time off at of UCB. I, I wasn't really doing the improv thing. And uh, I, like, you just, what, for whatever reason, it had been a few months. And then they announced a, uh, mod submissions. And so I was like, oh, I should submit to that. 'Cause that was I had already taken one oh one, which is all you needed. But since I felt like I hadn't really been around, I was also like, I wanna sh- you know, I also signed up for a two oh one. But mm. I hadn't taken two oh one. It was like I just got lucky enough to be like, Oh, I got on a mod team at the same time that I signed up for two oh one. Oh, I see. So like it was like uh, now that I'm remembering, I ended up it it what I didn't like just drop out of the 201 yeah. I definitely took the 201 class but it was like I was doing 201 simultaneously with sketches I was writing for mod because it was like very quick at, at that time it was definitely less of a system and like oh yeah you know now the requirements must be multiple classes right it I think definitely, it's I think it's to 301 yeah so yeah. it was only 101 at that point
0: oh wow so uh what like what did you do to get a mod team like what did you submit a packet of sketches yeah well I I submit a what sp- kind of uh, uh were they all just from your 101 class
1: no, I had submitted all new sketches. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I did not write any sketches in my one-on-one class. I don't, I'm sure, I don't think Neil would even remember, but I don't, I did not write any sketches in my one-on-one class that I was remotely proud of. Oh, really? Uh, It just, it was like a, a necessary thing to get myself to write, which was the best mm-hmm. thing of it, but you end up like, you know, you have to just chase an idea and write, an, and then by the end of it, I was like, did I, you know. I didn't, I didn't really
0: do think you, I did. Do you remember any there. like bad sketches from then? Mm,
1: I wrote a sketch a lost parody that I like <laughs> okay, barely nice. remember. I was a big lost fan, but it was just, you know, a, a joke of, I, I like honestly don't even remember what yeah. the joke was, but it was a, it was definitely not a sketch I was into. I think I wrote a commercial parody cause you have to write one, yeah. but I don't even remember that. But I remember like when I was writing the, packet to submit I was just I looked at all those sketches I was like I need to just write all new sketches mm. I also didn't know what the vibe was so I also felt like oh if I turned in sketches that I wrote in a class that will be a oh, right. So, and that's probably not true yeah because yeah. I just literally didn't know anyone at the theater like nobody was there to like and any advice of like what you're supposed to do I was just kind of submitting blindly so I was just like okay if I submit all new sketches it'll show that I'm still writing more stuff so that was kind of the approach I took and I can't remember but it was probably like four sketches. How many did you have? To, yeah. Something like that. I
0: don't know. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and you, you were on the, the mod team. Oh brother. Yes. Uh, how was like working with like a group of people on sketches for the first time?
1: Uh, that was great. I was, so I was on, I the first mod team I got on was called the space program. We were on for a year and then we got dissolved and combined with Uh, like, a few people basically left, and a few people added, and we kind of dissolved into Oh Brother. And uh, that was, like, just like I'm sure anyone's experience with mod, that was right when it was, like, starting to at least get how to write, like, start getting a little bit better at writing sketches. Like, the first stuff was just volume, like, challenge to write as many sketches a week, because all your other teammates that you're just getting to know are also writing that many sketches, so you just feel like before you have a bond with them, you're slightly like, oh, I want to show that I deserve to be here. So it it went from not even necessarily, like, healthy competitiveness, more like healthy proving yourself with, like, these group of other people that you really want to, like, get along with to, like, oh, starting to form a a team voice together because you're, like, after a year of doing it, you're like, oh, this is kind of what I bring, this is what this person brings, and you start, you know, it Mm -hmm. it starts becoming – especially with when you work with the actors long enough, you start like really feeling like more of a team and less of, if, if you're good, right. Less of like a random group of assembled parts and more like, Oh, we actually work together as a team and we can kind of, it's, it's, if you have the right director and stuff too, that always helps.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you like, uh, get ideas for mod?
1: Good question. Uh, I can't give away that secret or else then everyone would be (laughs) able to get so many. No, I, uh, man, how do you get it? (laughs) Um, I go to Twitter, I steal them and then I write them up into a sketch. Uh, that's a good, I really like, I've been trying to figure out if I have a, if I could have a better process, that would be the one thing if I could know how to start like getting better at like brainstorming. But it, it was more like, you know, necessity. It's just like, if you bang your head against the wall a little bit and slowly be like, oh, this could be an idea or it's an idea comes to you in an arbitrary way and you write it down until you can kind of figure out what's funny about it. So mm. it would be either or. It's like you watch a documentary and some like funny thing you see, right. in it or, you know, and so or, you know, if you do a, some sort of genre parody, if you're watching any movie and you're like, is that an actual sketch idea or is that just a funny observation I made? And then you start writing it out and you're like it is not a sketch idea. This is bad. And then your entire team tells you it's bad. I mean, they don't in the nicest way tell you it's bad, but you know, usually you'll find that I don't think I had that many ideas that were like right off the bat. This is perfect. It's like you write a sketch and oftentimes you're like that first idea while you were writing it, you wrote other stuff that everyone's like, this is actually really funny. The thing that you put in there, not thinking was the idea. Mm. And then you, you know, after a few drafts that that becomes the idea. So
0: uh, how many, would you like uh, do different drafts of uh, sketches? Like how many, how many sketches, how mean how many drafts would you go through for like a month?
1: Um, at minimum, at least one rewrite for yeah, sure. Yeah. And then definitely some sketches went through two or three for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I initially started feeling like, well, if, if I don't have the idea right away, I'll chunk it and then that'll be that. And I'll go to another idea just because at that point I wasn't very precious with stuff. I was like, this didn't work. I'll write another thing. But then as I got more used to writing sketches, I started realizing like, oh, you can, you know, you put the work in and as long as you keep working on something, if you like the idea enough, Mm -hmm. you can make it, form it properly to Mm -hmm. put on stage. And then oftentimes it's still, you're putting up a sketch show every month. So you sometimes (laughs) put up a bad sketch and then you're (laughs) like, well, that's that. And, you know, in theory, if you're doing a different kind of thing, you would rewrite it after that. If some things didn't go well But after that you're just like "All right, well that didn't work Mm. On to the next one
0: What do you think uh, are like the hallmarks Of a good sketch for mod night Specifically
1: How many mod listeners do we have This is going to be interesting (laughs) We're getting really into the nitty gritty Um, The best mod sketch Well It's gotta uh, You know I found that There's two versions of it, not not that I'm going to make it sound like there's only two versions, but two in my brain that stick out is like, you have a great performer and that's that. It's just like uh, some of those, some of these great, awesome, funny people at this theater can make any like basic sketch as long as it's not in its own way. Sometimes the funniest possible sketch you've ever seen and it's nothing and it's barely attributed to the writing just not getting in its own way, just being pretty simple And then, um, so that would just be a standard, like, you know, a character idea or just something weird happening on a date. That's literally (laughs) all you need if you have such a funny performer that can, like, the second they start speaking, they're getting laughs. So that's almost not fair. That's just like a cheat code if you have someone like that on your, and, you know, you have plenty of those people on the team. Um, And then I would say uh, uh, anything that feels... Remotely, like uh, fresh and interesting, combined with you know not being too long, being pretty. You know, I, I think that you write very long sketches when you start, and the best mod sketch ends up being certainly they'll. And now I re, now that I think even those sketches that when they were at their shortest of mine are still too long now. But uh, you got to know how to cut things down, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were uh, an assistant on Parks and Rec, is that right? Yeah. Were you like a writer's assistant?
1: I uh, By the end, I was a writer's assistant, yeah.
0: How did how, you get that job?
1: That was uh, luck as well, similar to me just arbitrarily applying to Conan internship. When I was two years into like doing random production assistant stuff, I had gotten, like, a PA job on a pilot called Raising the Bar. That was, like, my first job. And that, that show too. existed on TBS for, like, a year yeah. or maybe two. I didn't end up working on the show, but the coordinator on that show went on to be the coordinator at Parks and Rec. I had no idea. I hadn't seen him in two years. I was then pa on a different pilot, but on the same lot as Parks. They had just fired someone. He saw me in the hallway and was like, hey, are you free? I need a PA. Wow. And I hadn't talked to him in a year at least. I was like, at that point I was kind of tired of peeing, but at that point I also was like uh, similar Conan mindset, like if I could work on a show that sounds exciting or cool or be around it. So I that was just luck of right random arbitrary time in a hallway, getting that job. and then within a few weeks, someone in the writer's side leaving, like Mike's assistant. So then I moved over to being the writer's PA. And just being there for a few years, slowly became Mike's assistant and then became the writer's assistant. Wow. Yeah.
0: That must be like such an insane job because there's like so many great writers on that show. Yeah,
1: that was awesome. I couldn't have been like parallel to doing like I was so grateful that I had UCB because I would have gone insane probably sitting like at a desk close to this like awesome thing. (laughs) But I wasn't really a writer's assistant for the first two years I was there. So I was kind of, like, within earshot of the room. Uh, But in that same time, I was, like, well, uh, you know, doing a bunch of UCB stuff. So I think that helped, like, A, I was kind of close enough to it to feel like I was learning. But also I was a little too far away to get any satisfaction from being there until... So I had to kind of get that from doing comedy elsewhere. So it was this weird thing of... You will drive yourself insane if the only thing you do is be an assistant. And you'll also maybe drive yourself insane if the only thing you do is UCB. So you need a weird combination of the two.
0: What would be like a typical day as a writer's assistant on that show?
1: Um, That was um, getting in at like 10 o'clock, sitting around talking for a half hour, sometimes an hour for about nothing. And then depending on where you're at in the season, either just talking about, like, pitching ideas for episodes or, or pitching more specifically an idea, ideas within one episode idea that uh, Mike would have decided was what he wanted to do for this current episode. And then depending on where you're at in the season, two rooms splitting off, one room working on a script that's already been written, and the other room working on an episode idea to come up with. And, you know, and depending on that day, it's just... A mixture of those things
0: and, and so as a writer's assistant you're just like taking down right your, yeah i'm like entirely
1: just sitting there on my <laughs> laptop writing down everything they say i mean not everything not if, if it's not related to the show i'm not writing it down but <laughs> yeah. if it is related to the show i'm putting it in a document like a just a long word document with just a bunch of bullet points
0: what, what did you uh learn from doing uh from working that show
1: um I think the best things I got from that was I would, there's no way I would have even learned how to, what the basics of a story was if I wasn't around it. I wasn't, I don't think I was actively like trying to figure it out all the time, but just by being there, I was able to pick up just the process of how that, how they broke stories. So even though it's still pretty unique to Mike's process and by, you know, in theory, Greg Daniels' process because of that. Uh, that is just something I picked up on. Like, I d- certainly didn't get great at it, but I just like, oh, this is at least a way you approach it with act breaks. Like, pretty yeah. simple stuff that you probably could learn by like reading different things or whatever. But even that, just being around that. And then uh, I think naturally you might need to have this, but just how to be in a room. Like, I'm not someone who's actively. Um, trying to be the center of attention so that wasn't a real problem but like just being around a writer's room and seeing how it functions and how people react and realizing like it's a strange place because this is like 10 people sitting around talking all day it's not like a normal office where you're kind of on your own assignment and yeah sometimes socializing with someone in the kitchen you're just like literally just it's a constant conversation so uh, seeing like just feeling out how to fit in is a whole process that I think you learned at any job. And so specifically at that job I learned,
0: you mentioned uh, Mike Schur's process for breaking story. Uh-huh. What, what, like, what would you, what is that like style?
1: I mean, it's so interesting. Cause like, I wouldn't be good at like condensing it into the right. tenets of like, this is how a story is told, but just seeing how to have an empty bulletin board And writing out cards for each beat of a scene of a story Mm. and the act breaks was something that, like, at very basic uh, story structure was something I didn't know. Mm. So seeing, like, okay, so this is the idea I like, you know, whether the idea comes from just a funny thing that's going to end up happening in the story or the idea comes from, like, they're going to, you know, uh, uh, Ben's doing... Uh, PR for the Harvest Festival, and he's super a, a terrible like you know gets super stage frighty and a nervous all the time. So then once you're talking about that, you're like, okay, what are the beats of that story? Uh, okay. And every car oh. for their process, which changes at every show. Like I've did- been on other shows, so like everything's kind of the same, but everyone writes things up a little differently, you know. So just every and I was there kind of when Greg Daniels was there a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm in and out and he had a very, he, you know, it's his, it's, they all, they have the same process together, but the way that he needs to see something was different than the way Mike saw stuff. So, like, Greg would see things much more strictly in, like, the specific beat of the story. That's all I need to know what's happening. I don't need any other information. I don't want any of the jokes in it. I want, like, the bare bones of what the story is so I can understand that it Mm -hmm. works. And uh, that's, that was, like, an interesting thing to see. And I still don't have the ability to do that, but I was like, okay, this is like certainly something that <laughs> they're good at. So the more you do it, the better you get at it. But
0: uh, And then you were working at uh, Funny funnier Die. Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did that happen?
1: Um, So I worked at Parks while I was doing UCB stuff and while I was at, on Mod. And then after season five of Parks, I left. I quit. Not in a angry way just in like a, okay I've done my time here everyone was awesome I knew that I'd be better off moving on and trying to pursue other things
0: was there ever a thought of like or was, or was that why you left like was I mean was there ever a thought of where you're like if I stay here I could become a writer
1: so I never had that thought yeah I don't know what the reality of it would have been I almost you know aggressively always thought I would have to do it on my own Whether that was true or not, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. because everyone comes at it differently. A lot of people will stay at that job and be like, I'm going to keep asking for a script. You know, that kind of stuff. And like all those different paths work. And just for me personally, like it didn't fit for me. I was just like, I know I'm going to, I just had this feeling, whether it was right or wrong, like I knew I was going to have to leave and find myself my own job. And I was like slowly, you know, whether I had confidence in that, I didn't know, but I had a feeling like I had to test it out. So my first job that I got actually was on Robot Chicken. Oh, okay. And that was just through a blind submission of sketches. Um, I didn't know anyone there. But then this, like, you kind of just see how everything kind of spins into another job. But then, so I was done at Robot Chicken because that's like a temporary job in a sense. Like, they only, every. They work in cycles for the season.
0: With with Robot Chicken, how would you even, like, know where to submit the sketches? Did, like, someone from UCB tell you? That was through an agent. Oh, okay.
1: Um, I had, like, been doing UCB and having been at parks, you know, you'll randomly, whether this happens to everyone or not, like, an assistant at the time... He was an assistant. Came to my UCB show. He started asking me to read my stuff, and then we got a better relationship. And he was like super good about giving me good feedback with a pilot I was writing. And so he would just send me when there was a submission. It wasn't even like he wasn't an agent yet. I don't. And so it was more just like, hey, here's I can just send this in if you have, you know. He was. It was a little bit more serious than that, but it felt uh, like you know. You know, you start getting traction and then you'll start, you know, getting representation, I guess. But that was at a point where I was like, he was definitely sending me out. And that was just, um, you know, he sends like, okay, so we're going to send a sketch packet. That's essentially the requirement for that. Mm-hmm. That was nothing more than that. And I already had a sketch packet, so it didn't have to be specific to Robot Chicken.
0: What was like uh, the writer's room like at Robot Chicken?
1: Uh, that was the most unique one I've been in for oh, sure. Okay. In terms of um, – had a, I mean, now looking back on it, it had a vibe in a weird way of like um, almost a newsroom or like a magazine writing room because there wasn't a lot of pitching back and forth. That happened once you were rewriting, at, like once the whole show was kind of compiled. But it was mostly writing on your own and just writing a ton of sketches every day. So wow. you're just essentially – writing a word count of just as many sketches as possible. Sometimes you get an assignment, but sometimes it would just be like kind of games. It would be like, here's properties. If someone can crack the property, you get points today. You know, like kind of just like a fun little challenge or something. If you write a, you know, a Furby sketch or whatever. So you're writing just tons of sketches a day. At the end of the day, uh, the two head writers, um, Doug and Tom, Matt and Seth, go through the packets of stuff and zeb who's like one of the producers there and i don't think i'm missing anyone and they would read through everyone's sketches throughout the day and vote on them at the end of the day and it would be like yes or no just very quick like very rarely there would be a debate and uh so when there was it was like uh, you know it was fun it was like it, it was as cutthroat as it also was nice like there wasn't anything like mean of like you're sucking or whatever it's just like you kind of take the credit when you get a sketch in and you just sit there when you don't when it doesn't get in and that's just fine you just kind of take it on the chin it was it was not like other than your own self that you challenged yourself it wasn't anything worse than that
0: and robot chicken is a is mostly uh, pop culture sketches yeah so was that like uh, easy for you to, to do that is that was that kind of something that you were good at
1: that had an adjustment period for me because yeah. i went from writing really you know a lot of sketches But not short, quick, like, get the joke, do it one more time and get out kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So it took a little bit of time to realize, like, what was the most effective sketch to get into the show? What was the most effective that I found funny and not just writing for them? Because you kind of needed to figure that out. Like, there was a weird moment where I was – I started writing stuff that I found funny, but not towards the show, Like, not with any mindset of, like, how to get – because I didn't know how to get stuff in. Then I was, like, specifically pitching just because, like, this is what gets in. And that still wasn't necessarily the best way to do it. And then you slowly find your own, like, okay, I need to find this funny, so I'm writing a funny thing. But I need to know that, like, they're not just going to put in anything into the show unless it fits the mold of what Mm -hmm. needs to be in the show. So that kind of took – there was a learning curve for sure, and they're super patient with that anyways – and so I felt like really uh, they were really good to me there. Like I got to work on, you know, eight or nine or ten episodes. I can't remember how many it was, but uh, that was like a really good process. And I would not if I didn't get that job, I wouldn't have got Rick and Morty. And the Funnier Die thing was you asked about Funny or Die. Yeah. That was UCB related because my teammate Brian Safi uh, worked at Funny or Die and they had a Who's a good friend of mine now? He had le- he was leaving. Nick Wiger left randomly, and they just had a. They were always rolling through people on the staff there, and uh, they needed to hire someone for like a week. And so I had written a sketch for Brian at that point to film, and he filmed it at Funny or Die. And after that, they were like, "Oh, well, how do, why don't we just hire David for the week?" Because like that sketch kind of was fun. It didn't. It hadn't been released yet, but like they saw that it went went well, and Brian was like, "Yeah, hey, you could bring him in for a week," and then. At that point, it was such a <laughs> it was such a weird place that they kind of if they once they hire you at that point everyone's like they kind of forget that you're hired and you kind of stay there a lot longer than the week. <laughs> it's gonna happen. and It'll probably happen. So basically, I was there meant to be a week, and at the end of every week, they're like, "Yeah, you, can you stay next week?" And so I was there for not that long, but it was probably ended up being a couple months for sure. Oh wow, two or three months.
0: That's so they would just so they would just like say come back for another week, and then they paid you like week to week. Yeah oh interesting and...
1: you they had a lot of freelance writers they only had so many people like on staff but mm-hmm. it was definitely another cool thing where i was like oh this is a place that i would have wanted to work and you know i got an opportunity to kind of work around people that i thought were really funny
0: and, and funny or die isn't like another pop culture th- uh, sketch thing so did like going from robot chicken like help you for funny or die was it did you find it was completely different
1: It was really different. It was all, yeah, you just did. I mean, the most different aspect of it was like, you didn't even know how to, I didn't even know how to do stuff. And I was the only person, everyone had been working there uh, longer than me. Even if people had started kind of semi recently, it seemed to me that everyone knew what they were doing and I didn't. So that was a lot more just like, how does anything even get made? I, I didn't know. So there's a learning curve for that job also. And, uh,
0: because writers have to produce their sketch, right? Yeah, you
1: kind of you get to do whatever you want, but you also then realize like that isn't always the best way to get something made. You, there are certain ways to get something made that were different than others, and that uh, I can only speak to my like very rare small amount of time there because that that place has changed a thousand different times. So I think that the it's constantly changing in terms of how they're getting stuff made and how writers succeed there versus you know what their what the what the best way to get a good sketch on was always mm. a, a thing that changed, I think.
0: Uh, and you made the video, The First Gay Bachelor? Yeah. That's uh, that's such a funny video.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was the video That was the video I was talking about that got me hired there. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't even know if that video specifically got me hired there, but that was the one that I like, because I was on a team with Brian, and I was like, hey, can we make this? I think this would be a funny idea. And so then I, I pitched it to him and wrote up a quick version of it. And he was like, you know what? Why don't we just shoot it at funnier die? Because that would be a fun way to just get the right budget for it. Right. And I was like, great idea. So then, like Brian did a quick little punch up on it. Very quickly, they were like, yeah, we can get a celebrity in it. And very quickly, they got it was that was like a cool experience. Yeah, it was very fun.
0: It's also great because I feel like a lot of funnier die stuff, and just a lot of stuff like online in general, is like the topical. Like they want like a sketch about the Bachelor. Right. But then you did it in such a way that it was kind of almost like an evergreen take on it. Yes. Where, like, that's going to be funny no matter what. <laughs> uh, I guess to explain the video, it's the first gay bachelor, so all the contestants are gay, so they just all hang out with each other instead of the right. bachelor. Right,
1: and it's, like, not even realizing what the, how that premise is going to break down very quickly. Yeah, just, yeah. like, everyone lives in a house together. They're all like, hey, we're all, yeah, I'm explaining a sketch. That's great. But... It, it, it weirdly was ever to the point where they post it, it seems like, every time oh, really? The Bachelor airs. And so it's funny now because they have a, the first black Bachelorette and the joke at the end of it is, like, there's still not a black one and now now it doesn't really exist anymore.
0: Yeah, they better now stop.
1: They edit, so now they can't run it anymore. Got to take it off the internet.
0: Uh, but, yeah, when, when you're writing, like, topical sketches or stuff like that, is that something you try to do is kind of have, make sure, like, the game of it is kind of unrelated a little bit? Uh, if you
1: can, that that seems to be the best possible yeah. way to make something that you're still like engaged in and find funny. Because when you're writing a bunch of, when you're chasing topical ideas, either you need to just write it quickly so you don't get sick of it, which you probably have to anyways to get it up and be timely, or you need to have some element that just feels like this, someone could watch this in a year and still find it funny even though the moment has passed a little bit. Mm. So yeah, that felt like, that always felt felt like the thing to chase with, like, a topical idea, for sure. Um, but sometimes you're just like, okay, we have a simple idea. If I can just write this really quickly, that'll be fun, and then it won't exist anymore, and that's fine, too. Like, it, uh, that was the, the easiest version of for me was to kind of have a meatier idea to it, but, like, they all kind of work in different ways. Uh, I'm certainly not the best at writing topical <laughs> sketches. I, that was one of my downfalls, for sure. Like, I just, I could only write so many, like ideas about what was going on i'm sure it's even worse now with Trump yeah
0: stuff, yeah it's a hard job i, I really admire good topical videos mm-hmm. i really admire good online <laughs> topical videos it's
1: all i want i can't get enough of them <laughs>
0: uh you also wrote the uh new apple announcement parody uh-huh which is also very funny like a very meta sketch yes um what was that like it, it reminded me of the that nick weiger video um the gungam style.
1: Oh yeah, I wish it could be even close to that. That's like <laughs> the mecca of uh, meta topical sketches. But
0: yeah, which so I guess that kind of maybe does illustrate like what you were thinking. Like oh, I got to write a topical apple sketch.
1: Right. That was again like me figuring out how to work at that at that place. The story behind that sketch is it was it pitched in a topical meeting by Nick Corrazi, I believe. I'm pretty sure I remember that. And I was like new and I was and they were like, does anyone want to write this up? And I was like, I'll take a stab because it was like everyone was joking around about an idea of it. And I was like, I'll take a stab at this script. I'll just figure it out and I'll produce it. Like I was like, sure. And I ran with it and uh, everyone was working on a bunch of different things. So it seemed like a good opportunity to just like get something made. Uh, And so I sort of wrote up a version that actually was so much more meta than the one that we ended up putting <laughs> oh, up. Oh, really? And we were, you know, you produce things in a day there. So the joke of it was definitely how easy to produce it was, but I definitely also tried too hard, and there's a whole version of it that we cut out, which was, like, it was going to be, like a, like, a sketch within a sketch within a sketch of, like, producing an Apple parody video and the video about producing the Apple parody ah, video. I see. And so there was, like, two videos within it, and by the time we had shot all of it, cause we shot it within a day, like some of the stuff just didn't turn out good. So it was, it became like this surgical editing act at like five, f- like 3 AM where it was like, okay, and now let's just like pair it back just to like the essence of what the idea is. And, uh, still somehow was able to make it into like a cohesive, like the, still the simple, funny idea that it was, but that was fun. That was like the prime example of like how you can make like a stupid fun video and have a good time with it
0: and and funny or die was your last uh sketch writing job would you ever want to do sketch again yeah
1: um man i i think but it is tough because it's definitely a muscle that uh i'm not i haven't done in a while so while i love sketch comedy i would jump at an opportunity if and when you know i'm looking for jobs that would always be a job i'm interested in so I, i would it would be crazy for me to say like no i'm I would never write another sketch. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, it just hasn't... It's been a while, for sure. Like, looking back, I was like, yeah, it's been a, a, quite a few years. Even, like, a dumb, like, bit in, like, a UCB show. It's been a while.
0: Uh, and so, after Funny or Die, you worked at Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did that happen?
1: That was a submission, uh, similarly to Robot Chicken, where it just... They were hiring people. It was when I was at Funny or Die sent in a pilot that I had written Justin Royland and Ryan Ridley read it. And I think actually Mike McMahon ended up reading it, but they read it, called me in for a meeting. Uh, didn't realize at that point that Dan Harmon had no idea that I was being considered to work <laughs> on the show. Uh, but I was like, Oh, I met with Justin and Ryan. That was awesome. They're really funny dudes, really good dudes. And, uh, at that point, the show hadn't aired yet. So I had only watched, like, I read the pilot. And then once I got the job, they sent me, like, animatics of the first season. And I was like, oh, man, like, I could actually be on a awesome show. I yeah. had no idea. I just knew I loved Justin from the stuff he had done with Channel 101. And I met Ryan, and he was cool. So I was like, yeah, any job, that sounds like it will be a fun thing. It's Adult Swim. It sounds cool. But, like, it was a, a jackpot that I didn't realize I had gotten even when I, like, to the extent of when I got the job, like I was excited to get the job. And then I was like, Oh man, they made an amazing show that I got, (laughs) that I get to like work on. That was like really cool that it started airing the second I started writing on season two and they were all really cool. And then meeting Dan when I started and he was really awesome. And it was a fun, fun room to work in.
0: Uh, you said you got you had a pilot was your pilot yeah. um animation
1: based You know looking back on it I think it could have been it wasn't when I wrote it in mind like there wasn't anything signifying animation there wasn't like any crazy stuff in it but it was a high concept you know back when like it was a high concept pilot so I think like it could have been interpreted that way I don't know if they did interpret it that way when mm-hmm. they read it but it definitely thinking about it I was like oh yeah Could have tweaked it a little bit and, Mm -hmm. like, done animation with it.
0: When when you're using a pilot as a sample, are you thinking uh, this should be, like, high concept because you're trying to get, like, attention for it? Or are you just trying to write the best piece of writing you can do?
1: My experience with writing that pilot was trying to write what I found funny and also a concept that I wouldn't get sick of right away.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, But... That, I would say, would change again if I was trying to get hired right now. Like, at the time, high-concept shows weren't, like, as exhausted as they are now. So, like, I probably wouldn't go in and want to come write a high-concept, you know. It was a post-apocalyptic comedy. But, so that's like, sounds so hacky now. Like, Last Man on Earth nailed it. But it was, you know, that's the best version of that you could do. So I wouldn't necessarily do that now. But at the time I was like, Oh, this feels like it felt fresh enough that I didn't feel hacky. And i also was like excited about some of the ideas that I had for it, like just funny ideas. And so it was kind of starting around there and write it, get feedback on it, actually turn it into a story that makes sense. And, uh, my goal for that wasn't to get it made. So it was always going to be just a showcase of writing. So it was Mm going to be like, could I show that I write jokes? So like and could they be jokes that people can laugh at if as long as the story makes sense so it's not too confusing like those are kind of the really basic goals for writing like a spec pilot for me I was like make it so that it's not confusing and people don't have to like struggle knowing characters names and like who's doing what and then also as long as there's at least a joke every page that I'm like think might make someone laugh or an, a funny idea in it
0: so, so when you're writing uh, a pilot that you're not trying to get made, you're just using it as, a, as a sample. You're not so concerned with the story too much. You just want to kind of like the story to make sense, and then just make it super funny.
1: Yeah, that was mine at the at the moment. But mm-hmm. I think it changes and depends on what everyone's best like attribute is. Like, mm-hmm. if, sure, if you can write like a really interesting story that's, you know, going to stand out when someone's reading that, that's what you also should go for. Mm-hmm. So the two things everyone's going to be looking for is, uh, is this making me laugh and is this compelling? Like those are going to be two of the most important aspects. Mm. So you kind of want to get everything else out of the way. You don't want it to be, you know, think that you're writing some like brilliant story and then you realize it's like so overly complicated. Like a 30 minute comedy doesn't have to be too complicated. Mm. Uh, but it, certainly if that's, if you have a skill when you're writing, I mean, you're trying to get your first job and you think you can write this like amazing story, go for it. It just, it's like, oftentimes the best samples I've read are like simple, interesting. You still want to have like an interesting premise, but if the story is like, you know, a, you know, really trying too hard, it, ultimately you're going to be getting too complicated for like, what is going to be a very, what someone's trying to just have an easy time reading your script.
0: Uh, So what was the writer's room like at Rick and Morty?
1: Um, It was great. It was uh, basically pitching on ideas, really open, endless ideas for what the show could be. Because at that point they had written a full season and there were some things that they wanted to do, but it was a lot of open-ended pitching of like, ooh, how do we want to do this? And so the goal became... Well, with our first episode, let's not try and break the premiere because uh, that's gonna. There's a lot of stuff they wanted to like figure. We wanted to figure out like how they were gonna get out of the finale of season one, and they're like, we don't want to get immediately caught up in figuring out the logic of that yet because we know it's gonna take a while. So, the first episode we broke was the one that I ended up writing, which was just like let's just write a, like a standard, like fun sci-fi adventure episode. Have fun breaking that story. It'll like kind of keep things going and we won't get stalled on breaking a really complicated story potentially and so that ended up happening um about a month into it and you know the process just became like you you know anything could be pitched it was like a very open fun room in terms of like once you got into the nitty-gritty of breaking the story there were certainly like things you needed to figure out but at any point any kind of comedy idea could be pitched and get in there
0: well, uh, and I know Dan Harmon is very big on the story circles. Right. So is that something that you guys are are very much aware of in the room?
1: Um, I was definitely playing catch up in that regard. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, they knew it better than me. I was the only new writer there, so everyone else had been there season one. So I was kind of sitting back, just trying to look at it. I know I probably should have done more homework than that, but having been at Parks, I was like, okay, there's you know story elements, the story circles, a framework to kind of put a story to the test more so than even like creatively figure out a story. So it's like, you're still pitching in directions and act breaks in ways, even though you don't use those terms. And it, the story circle ends up being so much more effective once you're like further down the road and you're like, what's not, why isn't this working? And then you start putting it to the story circle and you put it up. And that's when you, it really became like, I, I, that's when I saw it being the most advantageous. Like it always seemed to be the most, uh, you know, stalling when you're like immediately pitching to the story circle right Mm. from the beginning of a story idea. Uh, cause that like you start pitching towards, I towards things that are more specific rather than what's fun and what you can do. And it seemed to be the most helpful when it was like, okay, now we have like a full story that we've been talking about. We know all these exciting things, but why isn't this working? And it's like, let's figure it out. Let's put it, you know the yeah, uh, all the terms that I'm going to blank on now. But, you know, there's uh, the you, the call to adventure and you know the uh, call to
0: adventure is the only one I know. Damn the <laughs>
1: there were like two others that got stuck in my head and now I'm just blanking right now. I actually I actually bought
0: the book. I have the book right here. The um,
1: oh yeah, the Joseph, Joseph Campbell. Campbell. He and figured it out. I haven't read it yet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there, it's right there. It's a lot of reading, and uh, Dan has like figured that out and. Applied his own logic to it because it's for TV; it's a little quicker. But uh, yeah, there's like four quadrants, and uh, it 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 became a really helpful tool once you were like trying to like fine tune a story for sure.
0: Uh, What what was it like working with Dan Harmon? Awesome! Mm
1: -hmm. I yeah, that was a really fun place to be. I uh, got to like see this like show that was in a bubble, like, just starting to get, a, like, seen, so you were kind of in this, like, cool place where everyone was like, oh, this show's being watched, and we have, like, a fan base, and it's still, like, you know, open-ended as to what the, sh- what the ideas can be, so he was, like, uh, a really uh, fun person to work with, uh, albeit, sh- I, in the long run, it ended up being a short-lived time, because I worked there and got an offer to work at Brooklyn towards the end of season two when I was working there and unfortunately had to leave to go start at Brooklyn because, like, it was starting a little earlier than Rick and Morty was ending. But, um, uh, yeah, it was... I have nothing but, like, positive things to say about that experience. It was... I learned a lot there because I had only worked at that point in sketch for so long and being at Parks, I was like, this is a totally you see the similarities in a lot of ways. So that's always helpful and reassuring of like, okay, there is a common language to all comedy writing and sitcom writing and 30 minute comedies specifically. But, um, it's also like a freeing new idea. You're like, Oh, this was this really, uh, fun place to pitch a lot of ideas in.
0: Uh, so yeah. So and Justin
1: we... was so funny too. I just should say that oh, yeah. and Justin deserves <laughs> as much credit as Dan in that room. It's like totally insane funny human the funniest person Mm -hmm. just so funny uh
0: yeah so now you mentioned you're working at brooklyn 99 now Mm -hmm. uh so how did that uh happen
1: that was yeah the culmination of all the things we've talked about in here i mean because yes i knew dan and mike from working at parks at that point i had gone on and done these things and when they were hiring for season two uh my somehow i don't know which came first i don't know whether mike was like oh i know david was working at funny or die and saw like a sketch that i had done or maybe my manager or agent had submitted me over there at a different time but any version of that them knowing me slash me doing all those things them reading my i think sketch packet they might not i don't think they even read my pilot uh all those things mostly they just called me in for a meeting to be like hey what's going on what have you been doing and that happened. I, I don't think I would have left for any other job. I mean, Rick and Morty was really fun at the time. And the only reason I left was because I had worked with those guys. And, you know, there's some uh, other important things where it's like, you know, WGA, like health insurance, like some very standard things. But also it was an exciting thing to get to work for the people that I had all uh, worked with on a show that I also liked. And in terms of like, not knowing where Rick and Morty was going and being like, Oh, this is going to be, you know, a certain amount of more time. And it was not an easy decision to leave Rick and Morty, but it also was like the only thing I would have done. I wasn't like actively searching for another job after Rick and Morty. I was like, that was fun. Uh, But this sort of just approached, they sort of approached me in a, a similar way. So it was just kind of luck again, just right place, right time. They were hiring and they knew me from before and I was working on all these other things, which helped.
0: So was the jump from writing like the, the Rick and Morty stuff to then writing like a network sitcom? Was that kind of uh, a crazy jump for you?
1: Um, by that point I would say I was the only crazy aspect of jumping to any new job is just getting familiarity with the room and not, uh, being terrible. Like those are the guidelines you almost provide yourself working on this show and working for that, the content changing was not as much of a hiccup. It's like, if you're a funny person and you're, you know, wanting to write comedy, those things kind of come. You're just like, this is how I can, you just find the places where you can fit in. So, you know, jumping from Rick and Morty to Brooklyn, while the show is different, the idea of how to work in a comedy room is sort of the same. You're just like, okay, how does, how does everyone work? I want to try and get my jokes on the show. And like, at any point just keep getting jokes in
0: and you're an executive uh, story editor now what are like the responsibilities that that job entails well
1: i'm only allowed to edit stories <laughs> from the executive side of things um it's very specific i'm in my own little office i never get to the, uh it's i don't know how familiar you are with those titles but, but they're they not, are, yeah they're like fake things, yeah. uh, not fake. they they represent, I think it's a guild thing. I think it's a requirement to be like, you know, those titles change. So everyone gets compensated to the title. Uh, but yeah, the, basically I would say your responsibilities change just from working at a show longer more so than title. But having been there, you know, this is gonna be my fourth year you go up, like, you know, you do staff writer, story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, I'm going to be a producer this year. Nothing changes in the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, knowing everyone and what I do there. Well, it's people just, respect you more probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, now I'm just like, you know, everyone's like, uh, can you sign off on this producer? <laughs> can you do this? What's the budget looking like? What are you coming in on here? Whenever we're doing a coffee order, I got to check the, <laughs> the buy line and make sure everyone's getting compensated. No, it's, it's purely... Uh, uh, not, it's not arbitrary cause it means that you've been at a show or been working. It's experience based, but, um, my responsibilities have changed purely just on like expectation wise of you work at a show long enough, you get better at it. You need to uh, essentially start running rooms. You need to start being the person that weighs in a little bit more and realizes like you're going to be asked to do a little bit more.
0: Is that as- something, are you, are you like, uh, cognizant of that and you're trying to like maybe talk more? Is that like a thing?
1: Um, That just happens naturally. I think the only thing I'm cognizant of is just not, you know, uh, every your your expectations are in a different level. So while starting a job I think is the most nervous you'll be because you don't want to mess up, the easiest ultimately time I will ever have is at the beginning of a job when the expectations are as low as, don't be a nuisance and contribute a joke every now and then, you know? And you can always, if you're good enough, you can exceed those expectations. But at some point you're like, oh, you need to like bring more value to that at a certain point if you're, you know, working a few more years into it. So,
0: What, what, what are the hallmarks of a good Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode?
1: Ooh, well, you got to have Jake in there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to be doing a case. Uh, no, um, I would say... Uh, the, uh, a good one would be dependent on whatever your taste is. Uh, but a successful like easy to break one would be if you could have Jake being active, having a very clear thing that he wants, and then from there, just a really a funny pitch for at any point in the episode. Mm-hmm. It turns out it's like a pitch can, a funny pitch can start the idea or it can come later. But, you know, any version of, like, my, I think my favorite episodes are always, unfortunately, you can't do them a lot. It's when you get something out of character from Holt. If you get something out of character for Terry, I love anything with Jake and Charles. Like, usually it's such a character-based show, so I feel like a hallmark for the show is as many characters together or as as little uh separation between stories but you just can only do those so many times Mm. um that was a really broad and not specific answer i should have just been like oh when jake uh met and
0: jake and amy kissed (laughs) (laughs)
1: uh
0: spec writers take note
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah write a spec of jake and the gang all having fun It must be hard to write a spec of a show. I mean,
0: did you ever have to? Do you ever write one?
1: I ended up never writing a... I oh. I only wrote pilots.
0: Well, because they don't really matter anymore, right? Yeah,
1: I think it's probably a good exercise. I happen to never take a class where they had you do it. So I think that's when I would have done it. And at times I was like coming up with ideas to write specs. And then by the time I was an assistant at Parks, I had written one spec pilot just out of my own purposes. And then I was like, oh, it's very clear that everyone's only like writing or reading pilots. So right. that's when I just started writing pilots. Um, it felt like less of a waste of time, even though it's the same waste of time. You're never <laughs> going to get the pilot made, but it definitely, I can see the value of both. I'm now like, I think it swung too far the other way because it's very hard to write a good pilot. So, so many pilots are bad, even just professional ones that get made. Right. It's just very hard to write a good pilot for a show. So, Maybe like a spec of a show as wasteful as it is because it never gets used is the best way to be like, oh, this person doesn't have isn't tasked with coming up with intriguing characters and all this stuff. They can just show that they're capable of doing what the job is, which is right. writing for the show, being able to write funny jokes. And like that's kind of the requirements of what you're going to be. So I kind of am uh, or it usually don't you don't usually write a spec for the show you're applying. for right. But just like writing In a voice. for any voice yeah. of another show.
0: Yeah, it does make sense that that would be the thing they'd hire you for, but I guess yeah. not. I, guess I don't know why,
1: why it shifted the other way. I mean, I do in the sense that it seems more like everyone has a voice and, you know, show what you're going to bring to the room or whatever. But the more I, you know, will read a pilot here and there, I'm like, it's just really hard to write a good pilot. Yeah. Like, that's an expectation of especially a new writer, like a younger writer. That's even a crazier expectation.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so what would you like to be doing next?
1: Oh, man. Um. hopefully uh, write a uh, spec for... <laughs> Modern Family. <laughs> no, no spec writing. Ten uh, seasons in. <laughs> yeah, um, finally get my Modern Family spec finished. <laughs> um, That's an interesting question. I am very happy with where I am, so I do feel like not... Like, feel lucky that I'm not, like, of the mindset of, like, God, I gotta get something done. But, I mean, probably my next Thing would hopefully be either working with more people that I really like. I mean, that's, I feel like I've been really lucky to only work with really good, funny people that i like. So I've been spoiled in that way to the extent where that's kind of become my goal now is whether it's my own show or someone else's show, just working with friends or people that I find to be like engaging and awesome. If I can just keep doing that, it's really fun. So Uh, Ideally, at some point, my own show. But it's not something that I'm, like, laser-focused on right Mm. now, for sure. I'm not, like, I got to get this thing made. I'm just kind of, in. you know, the fun part about comedy writing is it hasn't uh, totally rotted my soul yet. So, (laughs) uh, that, ideally, the only thing to keep it fresh is to keep working with the same, like, not necessarily always the same people, but people that, like, equal parts challenge you and make it and like that you think are good and are fun to work with
0: that's this nice is that a nice thing that's a good thing i've
1: been nice should <laughs> i be more funny on this
0: podcast
1: should i do show something different a dark side of me like just fuck the world i need to have more like anger at everything i can get pretty cynical
0: um no, it's great. All right, good. All right, here comes the funny. Uh, right, we're going to wrap up. Perfect. you giving your thoughts on something I wrote.
1: Oh, man. So this
0: is a sketch idea, so I'm just going to pitch you the
1: sketch. You do this every time. I do. And do you end up writing the sketch?
0: Uh, it depends, usually. <laughs> uh, you no, know, because, well, you know, I'll let, you, I'll let the curtain, I'll take the curtain off. Here. Okay, great. Uh, I re- I've been recording a bunch of episodes lately, so it's been getting more difficult to have like idea. ideas. Um. So I feel like uh, some people might just think I'm super unfunny because some of my ideas are so bad.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, you got to get to that. That's where you start actually learning a little bit. Where you get to your dregs of like. It's true. Then when you're like really, I have a notepad on my phone where I'm like, where I always know I'm out of ideas if I go to look at it because mm-hmm. that's like I should literally write at the top like you're out of ideas now because <laughs> I'm like banging my head against the wall. I'm like, oh look at this thing where it says like the. 10 worst ideas I've ever had. But.
0: I, I actually opened a final draft uh, file and it just said Museum Seller. And it's it just had my name on top and then Museum Seller and nothing and else. You don't were even to, know where you're going so with that. So I have it. no idea. Well, I think you was thinking about Let's figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that should that be the <laughs> pitch. Museum Seller. Uh, no, I'll just pitch you this. Uh, all right, great. All right, so there's an announcer and he says, uh, he's like, here is porn for the blind. And then a guy comes out with a computer and he's like looking at something. And he starts describing it, but it's, it's like saying, like, uh, okay, they're at a restaurant. They're both dressed very nicely. Uh, there's wine out, some fresh bread. Looks like it's going to be a good meal. No sex yet. Uh-huh. And he keeps on um, uh, describing it like, oh, they're talking about theater. One of them's been traveling a lot recently. Mm-hmm. No mo- no oral sex. Nothing's happening. Uh, and so it's kind of – he ends up describing – I guess the, I'll just, the, the plot is – The that
1: basic he, idea is porn for the blind. Well, not even really. Okay, got it. <laughs> it's kind of, that's kind of a misdirect. Because, oh boy. Yeah,
0: this is which is probably bad, right? I, no, I won't see. So uh, he ends up, and I, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but he's ends up just describing my dinner with Andre. Okay. And so, but then he's like, at the end, he's like, and it's not really hot. Nothing's happening. And then at the end, he's like, "What am I watching? Oh, it's my dinner with Andre." But it's kind of okay. vague enough so that you don't know it's my dinner with Andre.
1: So you're—is there? Are you watching somebody doing this for someone else, or is it like someone talking to a screen?
0: So I had—I I, I was trying to think of which one that would be. I, I thought it, at first it would be just someone just talking out to the audience, kind of looking at a computer and then talking to the audience. Uh-huh. But I think it'd probably be better if there's like maybe a guy sitting there who's supposedly blind, right? And then I thought, I actually thought it'd be funny if, uh, he says like, uh, oh, it's my dinner with Andre. And then the blind guy is like, well, now you're talking. And then he starts, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> then he thinks that's good.
1: Uh-huh. Well, what do you think is funnier? Porn for the blind or some, or somebody doing, uh, thinking that my dinner with Andre is a porn?
0: So, yeah, because this idea definitely started as porn for the blind. And then as I was writing it, oh, it's funnier if he's just describing my dinner with Andre. Right. So I guess I I think it's funny to think you're watching porn and it's my dinner with Andre. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. Because
1: I would say uh, you could definitely get into the depths and remove the porn for the blind idea and specifically focus on uh, the idea that my, like someone describing my dinner with Andre is pornographic. Okay. Because I'm, is it funny to you that it's revealed that it's, because that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I like, think
0: the the reveal I think is funny. So I guess I was trying to, the problem with this is I think I've, I've tried to create circumstances where this would make sense. Right. And that the reveal there, is yeah. funny. It's
1: because I would say you'd need to at least then remove the, or like pretend that my dinner with Andre thing isn't a thing yet and focus on how you make, porn for the blind to sketch first, so then the button of it, I guess, is a reveal. Because uh-huh. you need to know what you're watching, right? right. Or, like, yeah. the comedy idea initially is some... To me, when I was hearing it, is somebody describing a porno so that a blind person can be aroused. Yeah. Like, and that was, if, def- that was definitely my first right, thought. Right, as yeah. if they, you know, can't hear the porn themselves and yeah. get off on that. Or it is actually very good and, like, a much, like, more impressive, like... Porn is, like, uh, somebody, like, br- like beautifully describing, like, a, a porn without even yeah, having yeah. that on screen and just a person talking, like, to a blind person. Now, I don't want to... You probably don't want to get into the uh, uh, difficult nature in this 2017 woke right, world right. of blind jokes. Right. So, I think maybe the best take would be making fun of the person that thinks you need to make porn specifically for blind people and a blind okay. person would be totally, uh, aroused by just listening to a porn. They don't, you know, they're, yeah. they they do not need somebody to describe
0: them a porn. Yeah. Or, that makes sense.
1: Uh, it could be the, the, uh, my dinner with Andre idea, which does also seem to be interesting. So I guess I'm trying to figure out how do I, <laughs> how do I, what, what idea should we follow here? I would say you probably should go for the first thought premise. Cause that seems to have a hook. Right. And not right towards a reveal that somebody's yeah describing my dinner with Andre. Yeah. And maybe, uh, you know, here's another thought to maybe it's like you're producing a porn and it's just for blind people. Okay. And the,
0: and it's all just like sound based. Yeah. And and so you're,
1: you have the actors there and you're like, you know, and like, it's a whole like, you know, the guy, whether he's like, he's cast either terrible actor, like, like he's like still casting people with like their dicks in mind or all the stuff that they're doing. <laughs> uh-huh. And they're like, we actually have to have sex. Like, you know, they're not going to see it. And it's like, or it's the vice versa of like, no guys, you don't need to do this stuff. I just need you to like yeah, yeah. feel the roles and describe these yeah, things. Yeah. So, Oh, that's good. Yeah. that's a much little better. bit more of a yeah. <laughs> director's style of like how to hear a porn rather than needing to see it. Right. And having, uh, Porn actors uh, struggling with what they would prefer to do, which is just have sex, maybe.
0: Right. Okay, yeah. Some that makes sort a of lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Okay.
1: I mean, uh, there we go.
0: Yeah. There, we go. there
1: is something to yeah. that, as long as you're uh, not making fun of blind people.
0: Right. Which, yeah, which is not my intention. Right. Or you have uh,
1: a really woke conversation with two blind people talking about uh, porn and how what they find good
0: in real life or yeah I mean (laughs) uh,
1: you know that's what comedy is now just truth just people being like oh I really like this porn I can tell you know
0: interesting uh cool thanks uh anything you wanna
1: plug uh definitely write porn for the blind I would love to plug that coming (laughs) to the internet this uh uh coming to the community section of funnier (laughs) oh man that was I was really sweating there trying to figure out that idea um (laughs) Did, what should I plug? Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, check it out. Rick and Morty season three premieres tonight. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. I haven't even seen it, so that'll yeah, be fun exciting. to see yeah. how that is. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about it. You can find me on Twitter at a Plug something for yourself. Hey, listen. Plug to- in NYU.
0: <laughs> yeah you're, yeah yeah you're leaving town i'm leaving town Tell your
1: listeners break their hearts did i just reveal something that you had a whole special episode planned i
0: did not have a special episode planned i didn't talk about it oh
1: no i'm going to new york baby oh yeah here it is <laughs> this taking the podcast with you yeah oh wow Hopefully. it's gonna have a whole new slant out there whole I mean, new
0: different writers
1: pizza yeah pizza and instead of
0: smart water just a uh, pizza oh
1: yeah just pizza no water it's just gonna be <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> uh, well, I know New York. I proved it.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It was nice to uh, be here.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Borlock Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week.